Welcome to Debrief by MedPro Group, an inside look at some of the 500,000 plus medical malpractice claims handled by our company. In this podcast, our claims experts share the interesting, unique, and often intriguing elements of cases they have handled. Ready? Let's begin. Welcome listeners to this week's episode. Today we have with us Barry Orlo. Barry, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Great. So on every episode, we like to get to know our guest speakers a little bit. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little overview of your professional background. Sure. So after college, um, I started working as a newspaper reporter. After a few years, I wound up working for a law firm. And after a few years there, decided to go to paralegal school, got my paralegal certificate, and then went to law school. After graduating law school, I practiced law in Philadelphia for 15 years before coming to MedPro a little, little more than five years ago, where I've worked as a claim consultant uh, for the last five years and then was recently promoted to division claims manager. Great. That's, that's a wonderful background, very diverse, very eclectic. Um, so I'm sure that that will play well into the case that you have for us today. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a 10,000-foot overview of the case that you have for us this week. Give us kind of the high-level details and, and the lay of the land, if you would. Sure. So this case concerns a young man who had recently moved to the United States. He had been feeling unwell for a couple of days and called a local family medicine physician that he'd seen on a few prior occasions. He told that physician that he was experiencing fatigue, a productive cough, and a high fever. The uh, primary care doctor directed him to a local community hospital. When the patient arrived, uh, he came by ambulance and he was admitted. He, on admission, reported that he had a diagnosis of sickle cell anemia. Based on his symptoms, a sepsis alert was called, and the patient was placed on antibiotics immediately. The admitting uh, emergency room doctor placed orders for numerous consults, including a consult with our insured doctor, who was a hematologist-oncologist. Our insured put in orders for a CBC, blood type screening, two units of red blood cells, just in case the patient needed a transfusion, and he also ordered an anticoagulant. Because of the patient's symptoms, he also ordered a flu test, and subsequently the patient did test positive for the flu. Over the next couple of days, he seemed to get better, but then suddenly began to decline. Our insured hematologist recommended that he be transferred to another hospital for a higher level of care. Um, Upon doing that, He was transferred, and at the subsequent hospital, unfortunately, he suffered several strokes, suffered a brain injury, and began to exhibit significant cognitive impairment. After a few weeks at that other hospital, he was transferred to a rehab facility where he remained for several weeks until he was able to then be discharged. He went back to his native country where he has uh, been cared for by his father since returning to his home. Okay. Wow. That's uh, there's a lot there in that in that case. So, as I was looking through the case notes, one of the things that I noticed was there was some concern over the plaintiff's lack of disclosure on that sickle cell anemia condition that he had. Can you speak to how that may or may not play into 
the defense strategy on this case? Sure. So when the patient was admitted, because of his sickle cell anemia diagnosis and because of the symptoms he was exhibiting, one of the labs that our insured hematologist requested was a CBC. And that CBC would have given him and did give him the patient's hemoglobin at that time, which is important um, when dealing with patients with sickle cell anemia. His hemoglobin on that CBC was low, but our insured thought that it, it was possible that that could have been his baseline hemoglobin. He indicated that the patient, after talking to him about his background, was not an, a great historian. So keeping in mind that the patient had a dangerously elevated temperature, I think it was like 105 degrees, that could have uh, altered his mental status. So while our, our insured asked the patient if his baseline hemoglobin was this number that was returned on the CBC, the patient wasn't able to tell him. The patient also told him that he had never been hospitalized before. Our insured questioned all of that information that the patient gave to him because it didn't make any sense to him. Most sickle cell carriers require hospitalization throughout their lives. The idea that this patient was not taking any medications to manage his symptoms or prevent sickle cell crisis and had never been hospitalized, it just didn't add up. So as our insured learned later, the patient had been hospitalized numerous times when he lived in his native country before coming to the United States. And the patient's hemoglobin on admission was actually low for him. It was not his baseline. Had our insured known that that was his um, was not his baseline and, and had known what his actual baseline was, he likely would have ordered an immediate transfusion or would have transferred him to another hospital for a high, higher level of care. So somebody might look at this and say, well, this was the patient's fault for not telling the doctor the truth. Under the right circumstances, a defense attorney can try to quote unquote blame the patient, but a defense attorney really needs to walk a fine line between defending an insured and blaming the injured person. The risk of alienating a jury at the time of trial is a very big concern. Here, this patient had, a, as I mentioned, a very elevated temperature, had tested positive for the flu. Maybe he couldn't give an appropriate history because of his medical condition at the time. And this is likely what, the, uh, what his attorneys would have argued at trial. More importantly, when the doctor questioned whether or not the patient had given an accurate past medical history in his head, it was really incumbent on the doctor to either ask more questions or do some additional digging. And while he did order some blood testing to determine what type of sickle cell anemia the patient had, his condition deteriorated before the results returned. Okay. So... Yeah, that, that question comes to mind if the, the doctor knew this patient's condition and that typically somebody with this condition would have this type of medical history. What else could the doctor have done to dig in, do some due diligence, and find out what this patient's medical history was? I mean, was that even possible? You said that he moved to the U.S. recently. So was there even the ability for the insured physician to research out this patient's medical history? So he could have. Um, while our insured didn't know the family medicine physician who admitted the patient, he could have picked up the phone and called him, um, but he didn't. He didn't reach out to get more information about the patient. If he had, our insured would have been able to ask the family medicine physician what the patient's baseline hemoglobin was 
and that information may have changed the course of the hospitalization. Our insured also could have looked at the electronic medical record at the hospital to see if there was any information about the patient in there. Around the time um, of this treatment, the hospital was transitioning from paper medical records to electronic medical records. While the actual paper records were not available in the emergency room, had our insured looked into the electronic medical record or directed someone to look, the EMR would have shown that the patient had been a prior admission to the emergency room there, and our insured could have requested the relevant records and would have gotten the information that he needed from those records. As I'm looking back on what you said, it sounds like we've got not too great of a situation for the MedPro insured where we have a patient that came in and there was sketchy information about his history. Our insured physician did what they thought they could, but didn't have a full picture. And then the patient was transferred to another facility and subsequently suffered some strokes and had some major neurological damage. So how did this case move forward? What what was the outlook like for defense, uh, taking it to trial, mediating? How did the case move forward in that regard? So after obtaining a decent amount of expert review and looking at the damages picture here, everyone involved realized early on that this was probably a case that we wanted to attempt to settle if that could be achieved. Okay. The defense tried to use the fact that the patient returned to his native country to mitigate the damages in this case. So really the next steps were, uh, instead of defending on standard of care or causation, we were going to try to mitigate the damages. Can you explain that? So the, the patient returned to his home country, but how would that play into mitigating damages? Sure. This patient was left with significant cognitive deficits, and it was alleged that he was going to require 24-7 care for the remainder of his life. This amounted to a multi-million dollar life care plan, and the defense wanted to try to attack that life care plan by introducing evidence that this patient wasn't going to require that level of um, medical treatment because he was going back to his native country where medical care is provided free by the government. While this would have been an uphill battle, um, it was an attempt to, to try to um, convince the plaintiff that, that, that the demands that they were making were a little extravagant and were not likely going to be supported by, by all of the evidence that they had and was going to be attacked by evidence that, that the defense was able to put together. Okay. So the defense also retained an immigration attorney to speak to this. The defense wanted to be able to show that it was very unlikely that this patient was going to be permitted to return to the U.S. for medical treatment, and it was even more unlikely that if he even attempted to obtain citizenship in the United States, it would have been declined. Okay. Those are definitely some interesting facts there, and I would think would play into the ultimate settlement of the case. So can you speak to how the case ultimately resolved? So... After um, quite a bit of discovery, a lot of depositions, the exchange of many expert reports, this case uh, led right up to the eve of trial, and it was settled. The insured consented to settlement, and the defendants were able to work together to put a package together to resolve the case in advance of trial. Okay. So how long did this case take to resolve? 
Well, unfortunately, this case took a little longer than most. Um, and that's because just like every other case in the country that was pending during COVID, court activities were interrupted. So this case took approximately four years from start to finish to resolve for reasons I can't explain in cases that involve numerous insurance policies, multiple insurance carriers. It's very difficult to resolve cases in advance of the trial date. With a looming trial date, it just seems easier to get cases settled. Because the trial date was pushed off due to COVID, the possibility of resolving the case also kind of got pushed down the road. I don't want to get into the the details of uh, you know the settlements or or however the other parties addressed this case because that's that's separate from our issue. But it sounds like MedPro was able to address this this claim for their insured in a way that, like you said, the insured consented to settle. So when it was all said and done, was the MedPro insured satisfied with the way the case was handled? He was. I think that he was a little frustrated at how long it took from the time that he consented to settlement to the actual time that the case was resolved and he could put it behind him and move on with his life. But um, but overall, he achieved the the outcome that he wanted, and and we were able to get the case resolved for him. Great. So, in your opinion, what might be a key takeaway for this case? Well, there's a couple actually. So, strategically, from the claim side, I think one of the takeaways or the biggest takeaway is that you have to take counsel, defense counsel's early evaluations with a grain of salt. Some attorneys can be overly positive about their cases. Others can be overly negative. You really don't know what the defense of a case is going to look like until you get expert review and you have their opinions to support the theories that the defense attorneys believe may exist to defend a case. Okay. From the point of view of an insured who would like to see a case resolved, our insureds really need to remember that even if they consent, the case still might not settle. Our insured might still need to attend trial. And this is also true in cases like this one where all of the available insurance money was offered. The case still might not settle. The insured may still need to remain in the case, and they might have to attend trial. And then finally, for healthcare providers in clinical practice, I think that when you're dealing with a patient who you deem a poor historian, think about things like looking in the electronic medical record for prior hospitalizations, call the patient's primary care physician, and ask them, what am I seeing? Is this accurate? What am I missing? Things like that. Okay, those are all great takeaways. So consent to settle is something we've talked about in other episodes before. And if you could clarify... I know that not all of our policies give consent to settle, but when we do give consent to settle, just because an insured provides consent to settle, that doesn't necessarily mean that the case will settle, correct? How does, how does that work? That's correct. So look, sometimes our insureds are nervous about attending trial. They may um, question in hindsight the treatment that they provided. They might just not want to attend trial because it means they have to be in court for a week or two weeks or sometimes three, and they're going to lose that time in the office. They have to reschedule their patients. 
So in, a, in many of our policies, there is a section of discussing settlement and provides our insureds with the option to consent to settle. What that means is MedPro can't settle a case without their agreement to settle the case. So they need to consent to settlement. It doesn't mean that they consent to settle and MedPro automatically will just settle the case. We still take into consideration the defensibility of a case. As an insurance company, we have a fiduciary duty to our insureds. And while we do consider the impact that attending trial for a lengthy period of time will impact an insured and and their practice, it's not the only thing that we think about when we're determining whether or not to settle the case or take it to trial. Okay. That's good to know. And it's good to hear that there there is consideration for that and there's balance there. So, well, thank you very much, Barry. This was an interesting case with some unique dynamics that we haven't heard about before. I really appreciate your time on this episode. Oh, I'm glad to be here. And, um, you know, it was fun to talk about it. Great. Well, listeners, join us again in a few weeks for our next episode of Debrief. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. I've been your host, Travis Langford. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more information about MedPro, including healthcare liability insurance quotes and risk management resources, please visit us at medpro.com. A special thank you to the MedPro Group claims, legal, and marketing teams for researching, screening, and reviewing episode content and providing marketing collateral and support for this podcast. Technical direction, music, pre- and post-production by Travis Langford. This podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice and should not be construed as rules for establishing a standard of care. Because the facts applicable to your situation may vary or the laws applicable in your jurisdiction may differ, please contact your attorney or other professional advisors if you have any questions related to your legal or medical obligations, rights, state or federal laws, contract interpretation, or other legal questions. MedPro Group is the marketing name used to refer to the insurance operations of the Medical Protective Company, Princeton Insurance Company, Plyco Inc., and MedPro RRG Risk Retention Group. All insurance products are underwritten and administered by these and other Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, including National Fire and Marine Insurance Company. Product availability is based upon business and or regulatory approval and or may differ among companies. Copyright 2023, MedPro Group Inc., all rights reserved.